Hi, I'm Chukka Amuna. <laughs> and you may remember me from the last time I set up a party in order to become leader of it and failed. <laughs> so I took the only moderate course of action available to me. I reached out across the aisle to a random white man in the Question Time audience and invited him to nuke our great country live on air. In the ashes of this brave man's act of love for his country, and while everyone was too busy eating those very ashes for sustenance to notice, I finally became Prime Minister. Change has come to the UK, and the change is that everyone will have radiation poisoning for generations to come. Finally, we can have a return to the 1990s that everyone has been calling for. A strong commitment to NATO alliance, sustainably reducing Britain's benefit bill, and more Robbie Williams covers of David Bowie songs. They say I don't have any concrete policy proposals, but they are wrong. I am in fact the first and only parliamentarian to propose using concrete to build the wall that will defend my fellow centrists and I from the hordes of C-list wannabes who simply don't understand that in order to save British democracy, I had to nuke it. It is my vision to bring the UK back to its heyday, to when we were our best, the 2012 Olympics opening ceremony. <laughs> so as of today, my first act as your prime minister, I am announcing that there will be an Olympics opening ceremony every day. <laughs> every day we will come together and reenact different scenes of Harry Potter, followed by Rowan Atkinson doing a bit. And then a new community will have the exciting opportunity to be violently displaced from their homes. Everyone will have their part to play in building a feel-good Britain. Unfortunately, Danny Boyle was accidentally nuked. So we have brought in our next best creative minds to execute production. J.K. Rowling's cousin, A.K. Rowling. <laughs> Following years of division, bullying, and threats of deselection, which if you think about it is much worse than what I've done, which is just a bit of nuking, we finally have a vision for Britain that can unite all 70 of us who survived. I am honored to have forced my way into this leader leadership position. And I thank all of me for trusting myself with this pivotal moment in Britain's history. With pride in my heart and my head in my ass, I would like to introduce you to our national unity government. First up, we have my foreign secretary, Matt Hancock. Hi, I'm Matt Hancock. 
And I am pleased to announce my position as your foreign secretary. And I'm very happy to be in charge of a foreign service that's leaner, smarter, hungrier, and considerably more radioactive than ever before. Some of you doubters may say, oh, Matt, you were only made foreign secretary because you were safely playing Zorb football for a Twitter video whilst every other member of parliament was destroyed by nuclear weapons. But to them, I say, I invite you to look at what I have already accomplished at the FCO in the short months since the unity government has been in power. And then you can upvote my record for yourself. We are saving precious taxpayer money by recalling all of our diplomats and replacing them with iPads on Roombas, showing videos of me doing action sports like parkour, rock climbing, StarCraft. <laughs> we are repairing Britain's reputation abroad with our new app, Ask a Brit, where every single person in Britain has a drone following them all the time, and anyone with the app can activate a webcam and microphone to ask them and, and our new society questions about their worldview, what's going on, or who it is that they're eating. And finally, I haven't forgotten our National Health Service, which has been merged into our portfolio as Foreign Secretary, as we will be trading an exciting new supplement for the nuke Uber generation, Soylent Green. Thank you. <laughs> it, is, it is my great pleasure to hand back to our Prime Minister. And I would like to introduce my Home Secretary, Anna Subri, aka Big Suze. Hello, Bristol. I survived. You may have heard about me online, where I am sometimes referred to as Woke Soups, B-A-E, which I can only assume was from our great friends at the British and indeed wonderful European institution, B-A-E Systems. And of course, among my fellow cucks as Yas Queen. As you know, we are at a crossroads in this country. Um, as both our major political parties were ill-equipped to deal with it. On the one side, we had Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, a ragtag group of Marxists and their foot soldiers on momentum, who, while sporting the same kind of dirty white Reeboks and flashing their oyster cards, espoused dark visions of the future, defined by Marxist ideas like free healthcare, nationalised trains, and no more immigration detention centres. Imagine this dark dystopia... It is horrifying even to consider. Imagine, if you will, if G4S, a wonderful British institution with many women on its board, were suddenly vanquished from the British public life. Cancel culture has indeed gone too far, and I will defend all its victims at all costs. On the other hand, you had my former political party, the Conservatives. My former party was on the verge of collapse as members turned against each other for reasons of pure ideology, so much so that even now they're eating each other in front of their drones. I, for one, reject the ideology in all its forms, and I always have done. When I voted, when I voted, uh, when I voted to make getting benefits harder, it wasn't based on cruelty. No, rather, it was because I listened to considered advice from noted experts. One such expert was known as Joseph Rogan and his wonderful podcast. <laughs> And in the space of three hours, I listened to reasoned, rational arguments about how people can be successful when they are in constant competition with each other. For example, the apes that inspired the Joseph Rogan experience. <laughs> Maybe that is the vision of Britain that we should be aspiring to be. Another example of my good and rational brain, I voted consistently for more surveillance and monitoring of our communications. Did I do this to further police the vulnerable? Absolutely not. 
Rather, I voted to ensure that not a single nude would be sent and shared online, thus ensuring the internet was a safe place to do business and consultancy. (laughs) You can find out more about this on my blog on LinkedIn. You may disagree with my methods. You may disagree with my style, but let it be known that I sacrifice myself for the good of my country, for the good of my European Union, and for the good of society, which we all know we quite frankly live in. And I am immensely proud to introduce my Minister of Defence, Mike Gapes. Mike Gapes gets an applause break, huh? (laughs) The fuck kind of left conference is this? (laughs) Yeah, Mike Gapes! What's the weather like in St. Petersburg this time of year, comrades? I'm Mike Gapes. <laughs> I am Cuck MP for Ilford South and also a member of Change UK. <laughs> for too long, Corbyn Labour has ignored the working people of this country. Instead, they have prioritised middle class concerns such as scrapping tuition fees or teasing me on Twitter, where I have fought many battles. We in Change UK understand the real wants and needs. Is there a milk burglar in town? As I was saying, we in Change UK understand the real wants and needs of the great mass of ordinary people in this country let down by the out-of-touch main parties and the Lib Dems who I am not going to join. <laughs> we, I know what people are concerned with. National pride. National security. Flags. <laughs> defence. Internationalism. Interventionism. George Orwell. War, torture, bloodshed, burning flesh, mutilation, flying shrapnel, citizens displaced and cities razed to the ground. And of course, you have the milk. (laughs) The fact is, whether you have a red cake with great big red cherries or a blue cake with great big blue cherries, The blue cake is the only safe pair of hands that deserves to govern this country indefinitely and at whatever human cost, so long as it keeps the levers of power out of the devious Bolshevik tentacles of the spokesman for the leader of the opposition, Mr. Seamus Milne. Well, Seamus, two can play at that game. I have hired my own senior advisor from a wealth-creating private enterprise called Blackwater. His name is Mr. Eric Prince. Is that his name? Yeah. (laughs) Got it. And I'm sure he will have many insightful things to say. 
Hello, Bristol. My name is Eric Prince, and I'm the CEO of Blackwater Industries, also known as Z Securities, also known as Academy Industries, also known as Definitely No War Crimes Committed Here Incorporated. Uh, I was honored when I learned that I, we'd been selected to run MOD under the new Unity government's privately financed initiatives. I'm a, I'm a firm believer myself in the efficacy of the free market, especially when it comes to the post-Brexit future. And you know, social justice warriors like Tony Blair just want to complain about impediments to travel on the continent. But hey, Tony, look on the bright side. That means it's a lot harder to get to The Hague. So, so this morning, I was wearing a Bane mask on my 14-mile run, and I was going through the caliphate of Tower Hamlets. And I have to admit, my first reaction was something of a Blackwater speciality. Uh, I would have felt a lot safer if I'd been in a car with guns shooting outward in every direction. But that led me to a realization. Why not apply the same principles to Britain's security? We have thousands of miles of coastline and a lot of people in insecure work. So here's a solution. Build a machine gun position on the entire coast, and, and here's where it gets a little technical. Make sure they're always shooting. <laughs> you might say, Eric, wouldn't that cost a lot to fire machine guns nonstop for the rest of our lives? And my response is to you, sir, uh, think of the supply chain effects. Zero hours contracts got you down, have all the hours you want shooting a machine gun right into the ocean, I might add. And, and maybe you're not able to shoot a gun. Maybe you're a child or elderly or disabled. Okay, well, how about one big bucket brigade hauling ammo to the coast? And what about our fisheries? Well, sir, not only would these bullets drum up a lot of fish for our supermarkets, but you should also remember that we're at war with the sea, and this is not, I repeat, not a fringe position. Why, <laughs> Neil Kinnock himself gave me his personal support for this plan. <laughs> but what about safety? Well... Come on, even the largest caliber round won't be able to travel far enough to go into international waters, which means no messy foreign entanglements involved. And, and more importantly, if you're listening, Mr. Jeffrey Epstein, your flights are safe. I promise, international waters are safe. I promise. <laughs> uh. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to our radio play, The Unity Government. However, this is not the radio play, The Unity Government. This is a live taping of Trash Future, the podcast about how if we do not implement fully automated luxury gay space communism, the future is and will be trash. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah, that never gets old. <laughs> um, brief thing. Is that noise that I'm hearing, is that from the building or is that from our audio setup? I might be from out the building. There's, there's some sound, I think, elsewhere of people playing That's music. That's fine. Yeah. I'm cool with the sound. That wasn't my normal voice, just FYI. <laughs> it's very similar. That wasn't my normal voice either. <laughs> just, just in case you knew. So, um, hi, everyone. Um... Just a quick, uh, quick by, by acclamation. How many people are familiar with Trash Future, the podcast? Uh, I like Welcome. those noises. And Real Politic, from which Jack is representing us. Hell yeah. And Novara, from which Dahlia is representing us. Hell motherfucking yeah. I could also introduce uh, the other Trash Future co-host, Nate. Hello. And Hussein. Hello. Who played so capably Anna Subri? 
I mean, I was I was like this moonlighting from my my guest spot on Triggerpod. So. It was the role you were born to play. Anyway, she's just so inspiring. <laughs> Honestly, Anna Subri taught me it was okay to be weird. <laughs> Um, so for those of you not familiar with Trash Future, um, we basically just talk shit on stuff. One of the main things we do is we like to find the most asinine or dystopian, extremely expensive and useless technology products and talk shit on them specifically. And we've done many of these in the past, but I feel like I've found one today that breaks some records of how evil it is. I'm, I'm, I'm terribly excited. So I'm going to now put it to the panel. We're going to be talking about the emotive. And I remind you, it does not contain an E at the end of emotive. It ends with the V. Vile. Okay. What do we, what do we think that does? Uh, is it meant for motivation? Oddly enough, sort of, but not in the way you're thinking. Okay. Is it like an app that guides you into breaking up with someone that you don't want to be with anymore? That would be more useful and less evil. Like when you don't care to the extent that I'm like, I don't even have anything to say to you. I, don't, I can't even be bothered to tell you why I want to dump you. So I'm just going to use this app to tell me what to say. <laughs> hey Siri, free me from my relationship. Does I, it um, yeah. help you feel things again after sustaining terminal irony poisoning from too, <laughs> too many left podcasts. Meta. I have two, I have two ideas. One, right? Okay. It's, about, it's like a special kind of emoji that's designed to replace your dad who wasn't emotionally there for you when you were younger. <laughs> Hit a sore spot for some, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other is that it's some sort of app where you know how those you know those apps where it kind of keeps telling you to drink water like all the time <laughs> um it's an app which is just kind of like saying that you need to be like happy for this number of hours to have an optimal day kind of close what what really uh, oh my god we never make up products on this show unfortunately it's real <laughs> i'm going to do a, a, a blanked out line from one of from some of their website copy Emotive is opening up a new world of opportunities for blank with the most accurate, cost-effective blank measuring technology on the market. <laughs> Those of you in the audience who, uh, who are already fans of our show know where this is going. It's funny enough, eh? You don't need to say anything. <laughs> does, does, it like, does it like your boss installs it on your computer and it monitors your motivation at work? God damn it! No! No! I did not read the notes, mind you. I did not read. He won't let me read the notes. So I had no idea if that was the case. Oh my God, that's so weird. Though. This never happens. Is that really what it is? We'll see. <laughs> okay. So we have one of the functions of the thing. But the next thing is... It also can be sold to you personally. Unlock the power of your blank with affordable blank sensing technology. Again, it's just doing, the blanks are doing our job for us. I'm just going to sit this one out. Just chill. It's, it's, it's got to be the power of your brain or something, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Unlock your brain power by having a thing that shocks you or something. And Look, reminds I'm, I'm, I'm going to level with everybody here. It's, it's another brain headset. Um, <laughs> 
But unlike the previous and let's be honest, multiple brain headsets we've discussed on this podcast, this one actually works. Um, I'm going to wait. It works so well, the cops are arresting us for yeah. revealing it. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm going to wait for the autonomous power of the state to carry on. So yeah, this one seems to work, which when you're dealing with a brain control headset is kind of a problem. <laughs> like, the fewer of those that work, the better, in my opinion. Okay, so basically, the emotive is, um, it's a helmet, and you put it on, and it's an, an EEG. And this is from the website. Our devices have been developed for research and development applications. That's not all they use them for. We have maintained an uncompromising approach, which I, I like when they do, um, to the design and development of our mobile EEG systems, and we believe that spatial resolution, detecting activity across the main cortices of the brain, is crucial to obtaining high-quality data. So, it's a helmet that you put on, and it shows what parts of your brain are lighting up. Uh, which, again, cool. Systems like this can be good for like, you know, like disabled people, for example, and we're not rubbishing the system. Brain-computer interfaces pretty fine. But as we go through this, you'll begin to see the applications the designers had in mind for this are not necessarily that. So let's think of what it does. It measures six different cognitive states. Again, it's like a, like a plastic helmet uh, in real time. Excitement, in parentheses, arousal. Interest, stress, engagement or boredom, attention, and meditation. So does it have some way of coaxing you to return to those states? If you were like, I want to be horny, can I turn my helmet on? It just <laughs> and it's there. <laughs> you know, not that you need that, but I you know what I'm be, saying. It'd be really weird because if you had to wear them in meetings and all of a sudden like the wrong kind of part of your brain was just like really like, oh. it's like, you know, that's, that's one of those situations where like there are too many men in the room and you just need to get them out. So things are getting too horny. It's not, it's not good. So, so how, how, is, how does the copy say it's going to be used? Now, they see four key applications. Two of the uses are cool, and we're not going to discuss them further. Brain control... <laughs> it's called trash future, not good future. Come on. Brain-controlled technology. Pretty nifty, except the way they use Mr. it is lame. Mr. Seamus Milne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It allows Seamus Milne to control the Labour Party with just a headset. <laughs> So the person wearing the head... No, wait. You can control people who are wearing the headset. No, it's or not you that can wear the headset and then you can control all the people who aren't wearing the headset. Because <laughs> that I can get behind. It's mainly you control like, um, like a drone or a robot arm or something else. But you can only control it in one direction by thinking of something really hard. So like the woman in, the, a, woman in a video was like, I'm going to think of pasta and then it crashed into a light. And I was like... <laughs> Oh wow, I'm so I'm so happy we've invested like all of our society's wealth into Silicon Valley because now a woman can think of pasta and crash a drone into a light. This is better than healthcare for me. Um, and brain education and research; those two things actually seem fine and not that dystopian. I'm sure we could make them dystopian, but there we go. Here are the two things I'd like to talk about. The other two uses that these guys have cooked up for this particular system. Performance and wellness with the subheading, don't just look at your brain, experience it. This seems like 
you're 19 and someone's trying to get you to take acid for the first time. This is what they're going to tell you. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have anything? That, or was, just a, that was a delayed response. Hussein had uh, that happen to him at some point. Don't do drugs, uh, kids. It, it, this is, it is very much like a, a story about like when you when you go to school in the suburbs and like someone, some guy gives you like shit weed for the first time. We're like, oh man, when you smoke this, like you're actually going to like feel what your brain is like. That's kind of what, yeah. Yeah, it's that experience, but in a helmet. Yeah. See, most people just get that from the Joe Rogan experience, but you're saying you can put the helmet on and you can have it any time. Yeah, it's, it's like, what if you could take the Joe Rogan experience with you and wear it as a helmet? <laughs> so, don't just look at your brain, experience it. The My Emotive app, sorry, takes the complexity out of reading and interpreting your brain so you can easily measure your mental performance and fitness. So basically, they've disrupted thinking. Thinking free, baby. <laughs> so it's like a Fitbit, but for your brain. And, okay, think about this. Imagine if you could know how you feel. I, I would. I would get to like. I wouldn't have to like listen to SoundCloud rappers anymore to like Actually, understand my I, emotions. I have a couple of emotionally constipated ex-boyfriends that could have done with this. <laughs> to be quite honest, our performance metrics provide real-time detection of cognitive states. Again, unlike just your brain, um, so you can get valuable insight from your headset right away, thereby obviating the need to think. I, I, I think this is actually really great technology because now when people like come up to me and they say that like, you're gaslighting me, I can say, actually, no, my stats show that actually my brain is really rational. Like, <laughs> look at all these lights. Yo, I have five Brandon O'Neills out of five right now. <laughs> I, could, I could like go up to bars and like demand that people like, I, that people wear my headset so I can measure their brains. <laughs> it's like, this is like cooked up in like Toby Young's like basement. <laughs> So I feel like the origin story of this should be that like when Toby Young um, had his stag do and no one showed up, he was at like he was he was at the table of the bar and he was like, I'm going to show them. I'm going to create a system so powerful that I'll be able to control all of humanity. And this is it. So that someone can come to my parties. <laughs> uh -huh. So basically, it's a very expensive and invasive mood ring. <laughs> the other feature for uh, the performance and wellness section is... I shit you not, record your brain activity during daily life and play it back later. <laughs> so memory. <laughs> Damn, I wish I could remember where I live, but I don't have my headset. <laughs> How big is this thing, by the way? Oh, that's the thing, because like this, unlike many of them, which have like lots of gels and slimes and cords and stuff, um, this one is actually quite like handsome and sleek. So. It's like, it's a well-designed product. It's just, it's a very expensive way to remember what you did earlier. Maybe people might just start wearing them for aesthetic reasons. Turn it off, you know, rock the look. <laughs> I'm just wondering because it's like, I can know how I feel as long as I dress like a 70s dystopian future movie where like roller disco is how they determine government or something like that. And it's just like this fucking helmet on my head. And of course... It wouldn't be, a, again, I know this from having looked at many weird brain helmets in my time, it wouldn't be a weird brain helmet if there wasn't a social element. Um, through the My Emotive app, you can compare your brain over time to other people's. <laughs> yes! 
Amazing. So someone can be the most logical in the world is what you're saying. Yes. It's like that it's person like is going to be me. Top yes. MySpace rankings, you know, except it's like, no, he's, he's more logical than my previous friend. So I got, I'm going to listen to him more in the debate from now on. <laughs> it's like a fact. So it, it's like the whole like facts over feelings thing was made into a product and a lifestyle. Yeah. It's like, what if Ben Shapiro was a hat? <laughs> well, number one, he'd be bigger than he is now. Right? <laughs> I mean, the spectator is not even going to have to interview for jobs anymore. They're just going to have to put the helmet on you and be like, who is the least racist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't plan for this. Is that if you just put the helmet on and say, but why can't I say it? It blows it up because it's too <laughs> rational. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we built a se- we've built a seventh setting specifically for spectator columnists. And it's the why can't I say the word setting? And it always blows up when they put it on. Very fun. <laughs> so like when Brendan O'Neill like wears it, it's just like this big glowing ball of light. <laughs> no, we said earlier, wait, can you control other people while wearing it? When Brendan O'Neill wears it, he can control other people. So he's just like Professor X, but with the with like slow words. Yes, exactly. Right. He's he's Professor X, but the X is a beep sound because it's beeping <laughs> out something you can't say on TV. <laughs> so look, okay. Fine. That's like the the time wasting element this is this is like 50% insidious consumer insights that you can get with this brain headset look inside the consumer black box or the motive technology and uncover brain responses to your products and contents directly from the source the brain <laughs> this is the con- copy from their website i'm not i'm not making that up so yeah, how would you like to be market researched in a way that you don't even know you're being market researched? You're so just being studied. It's like somebody responds to something wearing the helmet and it's like, how do you like this ad? And they're like, oh, it's great. But the brain readout says, I'm racist. <laughs> Look, we're not necessarily just marketing to the spectator op-ed <laughs> board here. Yeah, we're, we're marketing like, you know, to uh, the American conservative, right? Yeah, and the spiked op-ed board, Daily Mail op-ed, all the op-ed boards we're yeah. marketing to. However... Um, I, again, while doing the research for this particular set of notes, I stumbled across, uh, this video that they played as an example of the power of this thing to do consumer marketing. And I don't think I could do it justice by describing it. The Q50 Red Sport 400. We identified Emotive, a unique piece of cutting edge technology that reads the brain in real time. Could the 400 horsepower Q50S increase the driver's excitement and unleash their potential? Infinity dared to prove this fact. We conducted test drives across the region proving that the Q50 Red Sport optimized excitement, focus, and engagement, verifying both a highly positive and enjoyable drive. To celebrate our drivers' experiences, we turned their brain data into a uniquely composed piece of music. And for the first time ever, we're bringing it to life at the Dubai Fountain. Join us for this world-first event from December 14 to 17 at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. The Infinity Q50S. Unleash your potential. So hell, motherfucking yes! So so now so now we know the origin story of sicko mode, Mabamba, right? <laughs> so wait, it makes music out of your brain. Yes. I, I actually am quite curious of that. Like, if your brain, if you're like the inner your inner conscience consciousness was like a style of mu- a genre of music, what would it be? Brendan O'Neill's is definitely Kid Rock. 
Well, right? no, no, sorry, excuse me. Uh, sorry, sir, no, wrong. Uh, it's disturbed down with the sickness. <laughs> I mean, look, anyone who listens to Trash Future knows mine would be techno. Next question. Well, I mean, you're, I mean, Jack, I think you would just be like, like Britpop. Or some fun, dumb fun shit Britpop, like that. I, I like Oasis. I don't like Britpop as a whole. I just like the probably the least credible band of them. I don't like. You know, the, I don't like the ones that all the cool people listen to or whatever. Right. No, but it's not the music that you like. It's the music that ca- that is your inner consciousness manifest. I feel oh. like mine would be like all the new metal DJs from like the nineties, just in one. <laughs> so one track. The, the Limp Biscuit DJ doing a solo set. That would be kind of amazing, though, if you know you could wear the helmet and you could pretend that you're like, oh, I really love Joy Division, but actually it's just telling you that it's like you really, really love Crazy Frog, and then <laughs> everyone knows it now. <laughs> well, I thought of it now anyway. It's either Tim Farron and the Voyeurs, Fred the Girl, which is the later lineup of Tim Farron and the Voyeurs, or Tim Farron and his disciples, which is admittedly I invented that one. Also, I'd like to draw attention to the fact that we were like, we created it into a piece of music and we're playing it at this fountain in Dubai. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, cool. <laughs> Very awesome, Infinity. Thank you. I, lo- I, lo- I, loved, I love driving in my cool car on, on curiously empty roads as I imagine executions happening in Dubai um, <laughs> playing, play, playing to classical music. This is like a very normal experience for me and my cool brain. <laughs> Turns out it was the Ninth Symphony. I'm just, if, if this thing measures arousal, I'm interested in whether or not Infinity wanted that to be the key thing that people took away from it. They're like, when you drive this car, you're going to be hard. It's just going to happen. <laughs> we can't control it. It's that well designed. Yeah, this is one sexy ass car is the thing. Anyway. Oh, no, actually, sorry, the bit of music would be a song I wrote when I was uh, in my teens about uh, having sex with exhaust pipes. <laughs> well, someone jogged my memory. <laughs> I mean, the interrogators in Dubai memory, are going to get it out of you one way or the other. You might as well just say it now. Look, I can't drive now. I wasn't actually fucking cars back then. Well, we we don't. You know, now we can. But, but my T-shirt that says "I don't fuck cars" seems to be prompting way more questions than it's already answered. Well, to be fair, I, I guess you don't need a license to fuck cars. You just need stealth and a lot of guile. Yeah. <laughs> or just like, I don't know, a, a thousand quid? You just get a car. But that's... Where's the sport in that, though? Look, okay. So, we know that this, this technology can be used to um, tell what people like about a certain brand of luxury car and then turn it into a weird fountain symphony that's played in a place that still executes a lot of people for a lot of reasons but look at the symphony in the fountain don't look at that thing um but that is still the the like the midpoint of the um deviousness of of the uh general diabolicalness of the uh the emotive um here's the final thing because that was the appetizer this is the dessert the following is a a red cake with great big red cherries or a blue cake (laughs) With great big blue cherries. It's a, re- it's a red, white, and blue cake, Jack. Milk. I'm running out of ideas. Just doing the catchphrases. He's, do- he's just doing milk, folks. See you we later. Just have a ju- we just have a Jack soundboard at this point. Just push the button. <laughs> okay, fine. So the following is a reading from an article from, again, the website copy. This is all free online. It's like they're not even hiding this stuff. 
It's like, we're spying on your brain. Isn't it cool? Um, uh, this is an article from SAP, which is like a worldwide gigantic enterprise software firm. As chief design officer at SAP, it is my guiding vision to make working with the intelligent enterprise both delightful and productive. Therefore, I heard a retching noise, that's correct. <laughs> Therefore, we at SAP have chosen to cooperate with Emotive, the market leader in mobile neuroinformatics solutions that give individual users personalized feedback on their cognitive performance in the workplace. That's right, folks. It's a headset that your boss can use to measure how much you're paying attention. So wait, they're called SAP. It's, yes. not, it's not quite cuck as acronyms go, but it's not bad. <laughs> That's correct. This is, the, this is what we have wrought. Uh, we've poured billions and billions of dollars of R&D funding and venture capital funding into Silicon Valley, Silicon Gorge, Silicon Roundabout, etc., etc. And now the end result of it is that um, your boss can read your mind. <laughs> <laughs> or he can know if you're really good at business, though. I mean, think about it. Like, it would be off the charts. He's like, you don't have to be on LinkedIn posting memes about jogging at 4 a.m. and listening to audiobooks. You can just post your brain results and be like, I am that good at business. <laughs> Why wake up or do anything? You can just be like, here is, I'm just beaming my brain results directly onto the internet, and from there, I'll be rewarded accordingly by the meritocracy. Which exists. That's business, actually. Uh, this is what you learn at business school. If Milo were here, uh, this is what he would share. Um, so, it goes on. Imagine a system that could detect your cognitive state and then adapt the user experience... UX, to best fit what you were able to handle at that moment. Imagine also that just by looking at the screen, the system can know where your eyes are and what interests you most and allow you to, to interact with the information without a mouse or a keyboard. We call this focus UX. I call it a living hell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but there's some kind of technology that exists like that for screens now involving a camera, right? Like no, no sci-fi brain helmet, just like it's a camera, it watches your eyes. And people have been doing challenges with these on YouTube videos about like, I can prove that I don't, you know, ogle women from afar, like show a video of a woman and I, my eyes won't go immediately to like her private area. And it's seriously a guy posted a video like, this is my challenge. I promise I'm good at this. And he, his, it recorded his eyes and it immediately, as soon as she popped on screen, it was like, straight to her bus. And he was just like, fuck, because the computer, <laughs> the computer was like, nope, it's there. Your eyes were right on it. See, I, see I, I, I have a YouTube channel where I do the same thing, but I eat spicy noodles at the same time. <laughs> Tap. Oh, my. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be the future of dating, I guess. Uh, in that sense. I, I have the highest reg score How? of not staring at you. <laughs> so, Oliver Ullier, president of Emotive, said to, and this is now from an interview in press, said to this reporter recently, offering solutions that are efficient, ethical, and safe is key to adoption. Sustainable trust and engagement of our users and their workforce are our priorities for us. So you want to make sure that the people whose brains you're looking directly into trust you with that information. <laughs> um, SAP and Emotive both share the belief that technologies should be applied in accordance with ethical principles because... <laughs> Sorry. Because after all, we want people to feel empowered and good about using our Focus UX. 
Feel empowered. <laughs> Your boss can see if you get a boner. There's nothing. Yeah, there's there's nothing more empowering than knowing that you when you go when you go for your like uh, um just after lunch bathroom break. Your boss knows exactly what cubicle you're in. <laughs> I'm talking about like reading the business pages, like just you know just to clarify here. You know, yeah, they they know how it's going. They know if there's a struggle. They know what you had for lunch. They know yeah. if it was spicy. <laughs> there you go it's like they, they, they know when you're filming spicy noodle YouTube videos when you're not on company hours <laughs> the UX can tell you to take a coffee break or automatically refocus the important tasks at the front the tracking of brain activity I'm assured would benefit both the employer and the employee simply by highlighting how the employee could be working smarter don't worry they promise this won't be used to like crack down on strikes to like find out if like workers are unhappy. This won't be used to, you know, um, directly look into your thoughts if you're planning on unionizing. No, only it's going to be if you have a coffee break. It's coffee break and nothing else. That's it. <laughs> can, does it do layers of thoughts? Like, can you go can you go into a dream within a dream and, and all that? <laughs> no, but, you have to put on a second helmet for that. Yeah, that's. Some, something planted that idea in my mind. I don't know what. <laughs> something planted the idea in my mind that I have to do unpaid overtime because the company is a family. <laughs> I, I, I just, unions, yeah. unions are good in general, but not for us. <laughs> Damn, Jonah. I came to this idea myself. <laughs> Oh, you must have had a good sleep on that flight. I feel, I, I feel like the best, the best kind of way that this will be used is like if, so your boss calls you in and was like, so at, we noticed at like 3 p.m. that you had this huge like intelligence spike. And can you tell us about this? And then what I will say is that, well, I was on YouTube just looking for, um, you know, different reviews of toothbrushes. And I came across this podcast called The Joseph Rogan Experience. Um, and well, you know, it all went from there. And that boss will be Anna Subri. <laughs> wow, these are such intelligent ideas. Um, the the reporter asks, "Wouldn't this give companies a big brother like idea, a, bil a big brother like ability to tap directly into our brain and use the information against us?" No. <laughs> what could have given her that crazy idea? <laughs> the uh, representative from SAP Stroke Emotive responds, "What we would like to emphasize." You always know that's going to be good, right? And they're like, don't worry. Our, like, brain scanning company would like to emphasize something. What we would like to emphasize is that there is always consent from the employee. P.S. <laughs> read some effing Orwell. <laughs> and we only use the data we gather to benefit them personally. As we, as we all know... The real, real 1984 is when you get banned from Twitter for using slur words, right? <laughs> it's not for directly looking into other people's brains while also keeping your thoughts very secret. No, because the thing is, if we, if we like create a set of labor laws that say prevent companies from directly looking into your brain for your own benefit, that's actually Stalinism. <laughs> Damn, I hate it when Big Brother wins. Yeah. Uh, so it's the USSR if we don't allow companies to spy on directly on your brain, um, it's freedom if your boss knows when you've been excited by a pop-up, basically. 
Uh, we would only harvest the data, uh, she continues, in wide swaths and look at category level. The uh, reporter, yeah. Pardon me? That old chestnut. Uh, yeah. It's like, don't worry. We're not looking at anyone individually. We can, but we won't. Promise. Super swear. Um, the reporter then goes about moving a drone hands-free by thinking about pasta and says she feels like a Jedi. And then the film ends. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Huh, couldn't this be used to spy on people sort of big brother-like because it's looking directly at their brains? Anyway, time to crash a drone into a light. <laughs> I'm a Jedi. <laughs> So yeah, that's the emotive. How do we feel about that? I'm, I for one, um, I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, my boss, Bill Gates, Anna Subri, whoever, being able to read my thoughts very directly, uh, so I no longer have to, you know, write about them on Twitter. What What if your brain was composing the like really normie tweets though? What if you could go straight from this, you know, from the brain helmet right into Twitter? And instead of you being funny anymore, it's just sort of like, wow, Starbucks is good. <laughs> Man, I really like it when I take a walk every 15 minutes, you know, just to get my brain moving. Like you realize that you're like, all of that is personality or something else. And your, your actual brain is the most boring person on earth. And then your brain is like, Jinkos would be great if they brought them back. I'd be really happy. <laughs> you put on the helmet and it just says to drink, to drink water and love yourself. Awesome. <laughs> Damn, I didn't realize Jomney's son got into neuroscience. Ah, <laughs> oh, boy, those products get worse and worse every time. I just, wanted, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to ask, I have one final question, which yes. is, does this machine malfunction on international waters? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for a friend who may, have, may or may not have a plane. Look, look, if anything, based on this, I think it's going to be uh, going to be our friend Jeffrey who's making sure everyone else is wearing the helmets. Yeah, I feel like the one person on this planet you don't want to know the thoughts of is Jeffrey yeah. Epstein. <laughs> For your own good. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, that's the emotive. It's um it's I think it's a I think it's a it's a it's a chilling vision of things to come, <laughs> realistically. But don't worry, I don't think anyone's going to actually have to wear one here because it costs like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds for any company to license. So fortunately, even though it's evil, it's also really dumb and expensive. So <laughs> thank God. <laughs> anyway, the other thing I, I was very interested to do uh, today is to explore a little bit of uh, local flavor. Uh, in local to Bristol, the west of England, not in London. Very interesting and new for me. <laughs> so, um, by, by show of, of hands, I'm going to ask two questions. One of which I think a lot of people are going to know. And the second of which I'm hoping slightly fewer. Who here knows who Edward Colston is? Oh, what a guy, right? The most famous... <laughs> And who here knows who the Society of Merchant Venturers is? Exactly the proportions I'd hoped. This is amazing. Christ, everyone in Bristol really is in it. <laughs> Why haven't you guys done something about it yet? <laughs> we'll get to that. So, I've decided to, because this is, in addition to being uh, talked to to this room, going out to our sort of weirdly transatlantic audience of listeners um i've decided i want to fill them in with your help on the story of exactly who this edward colston character is oh boy 
Edward Colston was born on the 2nd of November, 1636. Back when all the stuff he did was actually fine and like no one thought it was bad. You didn't have to be in international waters to do it back yeah. then. You could do it anywhere. <laughs> I, just, I just realized that um, he, so he's one messy Aries bitch. Damn. <laughs> it all makes sense now. The youngest of at least 15 children from a very wealthy family, the patriarch of whom was in a wealthy society called the Society of Merchant Venturers. Please remember the name. You hear many of you know it. Podcaster, podcast listeners, strap in for it to get very strange. Wait, what's it called again? The Society of Merchant Venturers. Oh, it's just because you said remember the name. It wasn't a good joke. Misfire. Ignore me. <laughs> I'm still Canadian. I've been here for eight years, but I still don't know all of your British references. So, basically, um, as many people in here will know, Colston gave an exceptionally large amount of money uh, to charity, both locally and nationally, and having given it extensively during his life, bequeathed like 100,000 pounds to like um, basically have more or less everything here named after him. Streets, schools, universities, they fucking love him. And after his death, a number of Colston societies sprung up to continue charitable giving in what they saw as Colston's tradition. Um, and, and the Society of Merchant Venturers runs many of the institutions and charities that bear Colston's name. Statues, statues of him are all over Bristol because he made a lot of money at some point in the past. We have no idea how. And Lord, <laughs> we don't want to know. And Lord, do they love to put up plaques to them. Anyway, let's not ask any more questions. Who wants to read a letter from The Spectator? <laughs> I Sorry, I heard they got to me. <laughs> I was going to say, I heard, the I heard a rumor that it was something to do with like a weird headset. <laughs> so, of, the, the, of this tale of three plaques and then getting much more strange, uh, who wants to remember what the first plaque said? I, for one, do. Said, you need to go to the dentist. You get it? I'm breaking out all the shittest jokes here. Say, does, does Milk, anyone, cake, does, red cherries. Does yeah. anyone else want to be the new main host of Real Politics? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, Jack's, Jack's about to do his third strike. <laughs> Erected by the citizens of Bristol as a memorial to one of the most virtuous and wise sons of their city. What do we think of this plaque, everybody? Correct. <laughs> then, subsequently... Um, a different and some would argue more uh, real version of the plaque was put up as a high official of the Royal African Company, not mentioned in the previous plaque, uh, from 1680 to 1692. Who's doing normal things with the Royal African Company <laughs> with a name like that? You're sure it's good. Edward Colston played an active role in the enslavement of over 84,000 Africans, including 12,000 children, of whom over 19,000 died en route to the Caribbean in America. Colston also invested in the Spanish slave trade and enslaved-produced sugar as Tory MP for Bristol for three years. Note the party. Correct. <laughs> he defended the city's right to trade in enslaved Africans. Bristolians who did not subscribe to his religious and political beliefs were not permitted to benefit from his charities. What do we think of that plaque? Correct. However, this segment really isn't about Colston, who sucked, and we all know he sucked. This is about the people who love him. <laughs> That's right, everybody. This is slave traders and the guys who are still in love with them after all these centuries. 
Hey, you know what? Sometimes you have to ride or die, okay? It's just a, it's just the way to go about things. There, there, are some pe- there are some people who will stand a slave trade king, right? <laughs> are, we, are we really going to indulge in, ca- in cancel cult- culture tonight? <clears throat> that's, really, that's really what I'm concerned with. I've, I've read enough Quillette articles to know that this dark place that we're heading down, there's no coming back. Steven Pinker has told me this. If you don't build a gigantic statue to everyone who's ever existed in your city, that's a 1984. <laughs> well, no, I feel like the real galaxy brain take would be like, well, if you start with one person who profited massively from the slave trade, does that mean you have to cancel all of them? And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the fucking point. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe yes. What, do you, what are you going to replace? What are you going to replace like the statues Because with? no one ever did anything else besides slave trading. Of No, yeah. you know, nobody had any other business. Nobody did anything. Seriously, these are the only people of note in all of history. So you know what? You cancel them. You just it's pull pot. It's back to year zero. <laughs> yeah, it's a Stalinism. And actually, like critiquing a slave trader makes you the real slave trader. <laughs> You're a slave of the mind. <laughs> Look, that's the thing. If you question Colston's legacy, then aren't you enslaving his memory? <laughs> Fuck that fucking up. <laughs> What you're doing, no, you're taking away his freedom to be loved centuries after his death. The best freedom of all. Kettle emphasizes her oh, We like, just got a text from Jeffrey Epstein. Actually, there are other freedoms that you should make note of. So, okay. Here is the first of, of Colston's fanboys who I'm, I'm re- just fascinated by. Um, and again, show of acclaim in the room. Who is aware of Tory counselor Richard Eddy? I'm so glad I get to introduce him to you. Uh, when the second plaque was proposed, the good, the good plaque, the plaque that we liked, um, Richard Eddy, Tory counselor, and who looks like a teddy bear made of ham, said, <laughs> I have never been a believer in taking the law into one's own hands. Presumably because the law is already made for him, but never mind. However, if this partisan, so anti-slavery, so partisan, Enormous there that Tories love slavery then. And they just want it back. <laughs> I mean <laughs> If the, I mean look, I mean <laughs> That's just for everyone here. The podcasters don't get the gesture. <laughs> he was doing a whole slapstick routine there. You guys are really It was a really out. evocative act of mime. We're really impressed. <laughs> We're moved to tears. <laughs> Resistance through mime. Slipped on a banana peel and a keystone cops <laughs> turned up. That was the sirens you were hearing. However, if this partisan and nauseous plaque is approved, I cannot find it in my heart to condemn anyone who damages or removes it. That's right. If anyone's going to tell the truth about a slave trader, what you should do is blow it up. <laughs> Never let anyone know the truth. His memory is too important. He's Batman. He's history Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Counselor Eddie sparked controversy in 2001 for adopting a gollywog as a mascot. (laughs) Something which saw him forced to resign as the Tories' deputy counselor, which to me raises two questions. Number one, it's 2001. I mean, even back then, you should have figured out that a gollywog is not a good mascot for a local counselor. Number two, what's a local counselor doing with a mascot? What I'm also wondering is how many days it took the Tories to let him back into the party. 
He had to endure a full lunch in the wilderness. <laughs> he had to go sit by himself. Only the independent group MPs would go sit down with him. Which is Ian Austin, isn't it? Because he hasn't even joined the independent group. Because he's so got no mates. He's the most <laughs> independent of the independent group. Yeah, he's an iconoclast, a maverick. It means everyone hates him. Cool jumper, though. Nice lilac. That's for people on Twitter who follow Ian Austin and like to troll him. <laughs> anyway, so that's the this is the first big um, Colston stan. Um, is, is is Richard Eddy, someone who um, who uh, again had a blackface mascot when it's not even normal for counselors to have mascots. <laughs> he was like, no, I have to incorporate blackface into my being a counselor somehow. Being a Tory isn't good enough for them to know that I'm racist. I have to go the extra mile. That's why they're going to elect me. So, this is the first reaction to the good plaque. It is not, however, the best reaction to the good plaque. The best reaction to the good plaque was when art historian Francis Greenacre suggested a third version of the plaque that would please everybody. So again... This is proper evidence-based centrism. If there's one plaque that says the slaver was great and another plaque that says the slaver was a slaver, <laughs> you got to hit the mill. <laughs> on one hand, he, committed, he profited off slavery. On the other, he introduced a lot of people to sugar for the first time, so it's impossible to know if it's bad or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Francis Greenacre, uh, art historian and merchant venturer, <laughs> That's right, everybody. We the conspiracy theory show now. Was that him whooping just there? He's, he's in this room right now. If, look, everybody here has to tell me if like um, a red laser pointer goes on my head. <laughs> they haven't gotten to me yet, but I think they may get to my family. <laughs> this weird local Illuminati. <laughs> Here's the third plaque. Edward Colston was a Bristol-born merchant and the city's greatest benefactor. He supported and endowed schools, almshouses, hospitals, and churches in Bristol, London, and elsewhere. Many of his charitable foundations survive. Congratulations. This statue was erected in 1895 to commemorate his philanthropy. Some of his wealth came from investments in slave trading. That's like um, in that episode of The Sopranos where, where, where Tony is trying to explain to his daughter, Meadow, what, what his job is. And he's, he's kind of beating around the bush a bit. And he's like, oh, well, you know, some of my money comes from illegal gambling and stuff like that. Yeah, but this, but, you know, different and worse. <laughs> yeah, I think this this is important because okay, part of his money comes from slave trading. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's a bit controversial. I mean, here's the thing: ninety nine percent is also a version of some. I mean, you know, you know, the the one percent is important. The one percent that he's making off crypto is also really, really vital. And from 1680 to 1692, he was an official of the Royal African Company, which had the monopoly of the English slave trade until 1698. So honestly, if you read that, he's like five, five like steps removed from any slave trading. He barely was involved with it. It was by accident, like how the queen invested in that predatory payday lender by accident. <laughs> sure. Oh, no, she actually, oh, do, do people know that she actually did. The queen is an investor in Brightbox which like routinely puts people into bankruptcy by um, 
giving them very non-advantageous, let's say, rent-to-owns, but she does it through a mutual fund. She invests in in Bermuda, so it's really not her fault that she's immiserating the people of Britain. I really hate to know all this stuff. (laughs) Thus, this plot concludes, he was involved in the transportation of approximately 84,000 African men, women, and children who had been traded as slaves in West Africa, of whom 19,000 died in the voyages to the Caribbean and Americas. So... Yeah, it tells the historical truth, but it's like Edward Colston, he was like, he like knew about it. I mean, sure, there were skulls on my uniform, but it was a desk job. Come on. <laughs> look, Edward Col- look, did Edward Colston do a little light slave trading? Yeah, I'm starting to think this guy might have been a bit of a melt. <laughs> it's also like just that I'm always really fascinated by how like, colonizers and slave traders and like even kind of the top like evil people now are obsessed with philanthropy it's like you know you could have just like not done any of the slavery and the colonialism then you wouldn't have to do the philanthropy the philanthropy is minding your own fucking business (laughs) no but then but look There are, like, several schools that definitely would never have existed, for sure. It's not as though a community could build its own school. It needs a slave trader to do it. And then it should obviously be named for him, of course. Anyway, also, it's like, at no point does it say that he took slaves, that his company took slaves. Just, they were just sort of miraculously enslaved. Just, poof. Wow. And I feel like this is also how, and this is like getting boring and serious for a second, but also kind of how Britain like relates to its history in the slate. Like it's seen as a very like American thing, right? And we just kind of like, we were just like a logistical stop, like (laughs) in the transatlantic slave trade. Like we didn't really have anything to do with it. We only had it for a little while. Like we abolished it really quickly. And it's actually just like, not only do we play like an active instrumental role in the slave trade, but our entire development, like the industrial revolution was funded by slave money. Like it was like all like because basically when slavery was abolished, the state compensated slave owners for the loss of their property, other human beings. That never stops getting me. And like with that compensation, like that compensation money was like a huge financial driver in the Industrial Revolution. So like we talk about the Industrial Revolution as something that like white British people did and it's our resources and it's out and it, it was literally like Britain as we know it today like its roots are absolutely embedded in the finance that was that was like taken off slavery and then off colonialism and I feel like that plaque that like centrist plaque is like <laughs> is like just such a perfect encapsulation of how it's like it's just a footnote like it's just the violence was like a side effect. It was an unexpected consequence of like <laughs> this entire like death-driven system that we pioneered. I mean, yeah, like you know, the, the you know the British slave system was bad, but imagine if like you know if they just had like a Google Doc system and maybe if it could have been streamlined better, the but violence then, would have like been. How would we have so you say whether it's good or bad? It was just bad management, right? Yeah. Plus, we have a music hall out of it. <laughs> anyway. Um, so that's the centrist slavery plaque. But what I'm more interested in is that the guy who rewrote the centrist slavery plaque was in like the same social club as Edward Colston was like 400 years ago, which 
That set me to thinking. I was like, I need to learn everything about these people because I really love a conspiracy theory. So, and again, this is all stuff that the merchant venturers have said about themselves or things that have been reported on them in uh, Bristol Radical History, which is a very good publication that I like quite a bit and I recommend strongly. So, the merchant venturers, part one. Established under royal charter in 1552, editorial, for no reason. <laughs> don't, don't pay attention to it. Don't worry about it. Just it got established. The men and women of the society of, mostly men, uh, of the society of merchant venturers work with and support people and communities from the wider Bristol area. We do this through education, care for older people, charitable giving, and social enterprise. Again, editorial, don't ask where we got the money. We just have it. <laughs> we intend to enhance the quality of life for all, particularly the young, age, and disadvantaged promote learning and acquisition of skills by supporting education, contribute to the prosperity and well-being of the greater Bristol area through active support of enterprise, thanks, <laughs> and act as effective stewards of the charitable trusts, heritage, ancient buildings, and open spaces for which the society is responsible, which is none of that is at all sinister. The fact that like we have these vague but very grand aims, we own kind of a lot, and don't worry and don't look at it. That's the basic summary of the Merchant Venturers. We can go on. How do we join? <laughs> I suppose we should hand this one out to the audience. That is actually, I am actually curious. How do you join? Is it like a, a See, invitation only situation? I actually... Do I have to fuck a pig? I, <laughs> I am willing to give you my piss if I can join. Do what you want with it. Well, they have to put a helmet on your head and figure out if you've got the right characteristics for the social society. So, I actually, uh, I, I spoke with um, a, a local sort of Bristol radical historian, uh, educator person, before coming on today, and he says that basically everyone in the Merchant Venture has just inherited a whole bunch of wealth and then ran their companies into the ground. So... <laughs> It's basically a giant club of sort of the biggest, dumbest, wettest, richest people in all of this particular local so, area. So what you're saying is Wyatt Coke is a merchant venturer. <laughs> in spirit. So in order to pursue this goal, they control over like 100 million pounds worth of investments globally and sit on basically every major board of more or less everything in and around Bristol. 12 charities, 40 trust funds, a private unlimited company called SMV Investments that has major investments in defense contracting, tobacco, industrial agriculture, and the petroleum industry, guaranteed seats in the University of Bristol court, and the Downs Committee, which administers land around the city, in addition to basically controlling all the water companies around this particular part of the world. Again, a like company that was set up to do slavery uh, like several centuries ago now still basically controls everything. Uh, and again, it really is a local Illuminati, which I just love the idea of because it's like, yeah, conspire global, but act local. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think like the idea of a local Illuminati is very funny because it's like there's this really big, sinister, cloaked organization. But I imagine a lot of the conversations that happen. Our arguments over who gets to play Jafar in the pantomime at the end of the year, um, like who's like whose garden is like you know better than who? That comes up. <laughs> so uh, there are three celebrations that the uh, merchant venturers, which do, um, and they're all related to Edward Colston every year. 
the Colston Girls' School Commemoration Day held at the Bristol Cathedral, in which students and staff are supplied with and expected to wear a bronze chrysanthemum, which was apparently Colston's favorite flower. So as well as being a slave trader, he was also a basic bitch, basically. <laughs> Who's... Like, aren't they those, those, like, shitty flowers that are, like, the cheapest ones that you get in the supermarket? to give people as they're dying. Like, if they're, like, really bad, and if they're, if they're, like, if they're, like, on the verge of death, like, that's the, apparently that's the flower you're supposed to give someone. And, and as part of a religious ceremony, Colston's will is read aloud every year, the same will. Yeah. This society is so normal. Maggie Thatcher was one of the first female I think she was the first female. Sorry, to clear, Ma- Margaret Thatcher Wholesome was. Cray. Margaret Thatcher was the first female merchant venturer and one of a very few women admitted to a drink since. So we're, we're really sexist, but we see something in you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the Tory party, really. <laughs> Select more female merchant venturers. <laughs> Celebration the second. Charter Day. This is the weirdest one. A ceremony led by a Church of England bishop presented to a bunch of people, including the merchant venturers. It is at the end of this religious ceremony that attendees are given a Colston bun in memory of him. (laughs) (laughs) Then following this, the merchant venturers retire for lunch and other rituals. (laughs) There you go, Dahlia. That's the pig bit. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 this is not the weirdest bit. You think this is the weirdest bit? You are wrong. In their headquarters, the Merchant Hall, where the hair and nails preserved of Edward Colston. It happens to be in a castle. Lightning happens to be striking it at all times. We don't know why, it just happens. Are on display. We're not a racist society. We just worship a slave trader as a god. (laughs) He blessed us with those fingernails and hair. All right. You just have to appreciate it, okay? We just respect that he had a great keratin. (laughs) Do you reckon reckon it's kind of like the religious relic racket of old? You know, like they'd prey on, you know, shifty businessmen would prey on very religious people in the past by just trimming some of their toenails and be like, being like, yeah, yeah, this is Jesus's. Yeah. Don't worry. These toenails, they enslaved a lot of people. <laughs> he, he was just like a skincare icon, okay? Like, <laughs> no, Edward Colston was kind of the Kim Kardashian of the 16th century when you think about <laughs> it. I feel like they've just invented a ritual because, you know, when people die, like typically for the, like a week after death, their, their fingernails continue growing, right? It's just in Edward Colston's place, a, a very dark energy caused him to continue growing forever. And they've got to trim them, so I mean, you might as well do something with them when it's exactly. done. You might as well worship them, God. We're super rich. This is the meritocracy. We worship some hair. God. Then the third one is um, each of the rich guys races to see how much money they can raise and give away, living up to the motto that Edward Colston put under his uh, stained glass window in the church, go thou and do likewise, which is, I assume you like, you know, um, commit some light genocide in order to build like a library for orphans. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, then they do a silent toast. I don't know what that is. And it's less weird than the hair thing. Anyway. I will never understand white people. No matter how long I live in this country, I will never understand them. Truly, but, I just don't understand their ways. But look. Their culture. Here's the thing. 
The Society of Merchant Venturers is a 2019 style organization. They know that in today's woke cancel culture, you can't you can't just be openly in favor of the slave trade. Um, so they have some Q and A's on their website, which I've reproduced for the benefit of us here today. Question the first: What influence does the society have over Bristol politics? <laughs> We kind of thumbed the scale in the best garden competition, but nothing else. (laughs) Answer. The society is an apolitical organization and has no influence whatsoever over Bristol politics. Don't worry about it. I think you'll find that slavery was apolitical. Just wear this headset and and don't worry about it. (laughs) Question the second. Did some of the society's wealth come from the slave trade? (laughs) The society itself has no wealth derived. And this next word is going to do a lot of heavy lifting in the sentence. Directly. (laughs) From the slave trade. Although, during this period in the 18th century, individual Bristol merchants who were members of the society at that time may... (laughs) have profited from the slave trade. We have no way of knowing. We invented accountancy in 1974. We don't know what anything was. This is, this is exactly like those guys who are like, oh, you know, you're so easy to throw labels around like racist and slave owner when you when like, you know, you should just be judging the individual based on their merits and their positive energy. That's what Martin Luther King said, right? <laughs> That's the thing. They didn't have a helmet that could record their mental states for playback later. So we have no way of knowing if they were slave owners. Question the third. Was Edward Colston a member of the Merchant Venturers? Well, Edward Colston was a member of the Society of Merchant Venturers. He attended just two meetings during his lifetime and spent most of his time in London. This guy we worship, totally not involved. It sounds more like the AWL now than the Tory party. (laughs) Yo, that's some interior left shit I do not understand. (laughs) I'm so glad that that went down okay. (laughs) Momentum events, yeah. You can tell who came to the left through, like, irony posting and who came from the left through politics because they know what that means. (laughs) Just coming for the bitter factional humor. I'm your man. (laughs) So, um... I'd like, to, I'd like to end on this. The section from the Merchant Adventurer's website, Embracing the History of Bristol. It begins. The transatlantic slave trade undoubtedly played a significant role in the growth of Bristol during the 18th century. Whilst we cannot change the past, We can help eradicate modern slavery by educating the young people of Bristol about the abhorrence of slavery, both past and present. (laughs) Not by doing anything about it or stopping investing in, like, petrochemical companies or defense companies or, like, any of these other companies that kind of, like, have been implicated in modern slavery. No, it's we're going to do it by teaching the people in the schools that we built with the money we made from slavery. That's how we're going to embrace Bristol's past. We definitely can't do reparations because we have no idea what was funded by slavery. I mean, none of those things exist anymore. (laughs) 
And don't worry, the Society of Merchant Venturers actually reviews the curriculum at each of our schools to ensure that students are confident, equipped, and prepared for responsibilities they have as global citizens, and editorializing to know that Edward Colston really wasn't that involved and we totally don't worship him as a god. <laughs> so anyway, if I can sum up, Bristol's kind of an interesting town because like in the 15th century there was this guy and he was a member of this social club and he like made a lot of money from slavery but like from some other stuff as well. Anyway, he gave a lot of it away and named like a lot of schools and streets and statues after himself plus a music hall. Anyway, some time passed. Don't worry about what happened then. Slavery was abolished. Don't ask why. Um <laughs> And then um, this guy, we started, got together, and we like named a bunch of shit after him more, but don't ask about him. We worship him as a god, but like, he's not really involved in our whole thing, but don't worry. We're telling everyone that he was bad, but we do worship his fingernails. And, it, and if you say anything bad about him, we are going to come for you on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, from, from our family to your family... And with thanks, of course, to Isaac Nebone Hopkins, Kalsum Joffrey, and all of the staff of uh, Bristol Transformed, we have been Trash Future, Real Politic, and Novara in combination. Thank you very much.